So Obadiah, Father, we do pray as we enter into this book that you would just bless this time in the study of this little epistle that maybe some Christians have never read um, or is ignored. And there's an important message here for us and all the books of the Bible because Paul would say to Timothy, all scripture is inspired, that is God breathed, and it is profitable. And we know it's profitable for us to be in this little epistle. So I pray that you would just Bless this time as we study your word, as we go through uh, this um, book that only has 21 verses. But Lord, it is for us, for us today. And I just pray that you would uh, touch our hearts with your word, not only looking at it historically and the implications, but Lord, the application for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Obadiah, his name means servant of Yahweh. Uh, as I mentioned to you, only 21 verses long, and it focuses on God's judgment against the Edomites for their pride in the way that they treated the children of Israel. And we know that God had addressed their pride uh, through the prophets, and we see that this book is very similar to the proclamation that is uh, given by Jeremiah later, uh, probably after Obadiah in chapter 49. We saw the proclamations against the nations. One of those was against Edom. And as we look at Edom, uh, again, it's hard to pinpoint exactly who Obadiah was in the scriptures because there are 13 Obadiahs in the Old Testament. And one of these may be the Obadiah that wrote this book that God used to pin these words. And just for you who like to take note of these things, there was an Obadiah who was an officer in King Ahab of Israel's court and hid God's prophets in a cave because King Ahab, the king of Israel and the ten northern tribes and his wife is uh, Jezebel, they were killing the prophets and, and Jezebel was very much behind that. So you read about that in First Kings chapter 18. There was an Obadiah that was sent out by King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now Jehoshaphat uh, he was a godly king, and he sent out those to teach the laws in the cities of Judah. And there was an Obadiah that was named that would go out giving and teaching the law in the cities of Judah. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, we see him mentioned. There was an Obadiah who was one of the overseers who helped repair the temple in the days of Josiah, king of Judah, Second Chronicles chapter 34. And as you remember, as we go through the historical books and as we've gone through the books of the prophet, that Josiah was the last of the godly kings on the scene in Judah before the Babylonian captivity. And, and Josiah would repair the temple. He brought back temple worship and Passover. And there's an Obadiah that's mentioned during his time uh, in Second Chronicles 34. But also after the 70 years of captivity, uh, after they rebuilt the temple and Nehemiah was commissioned to go and, and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, there was an Obadiah who was a priest in the days of Nehemiah. You can read about that in Nehemiah chapter 10. And so Obadiah's prophecy is unique here as we read these 21 verses because he doesn't deal with Judah or Israel much at all. His focus is on the sin of Edom and the judgment coming upon them. Now, as a lot of you know in our previous lessons and in your own studies of the Old Testament, that the Edomites were the descendants of Esau. 
Esau, the son of Isaac, and Rebekah, and the brother of Jacob. They were twins. And Esau's nickname was Edom, which means red, probably because he had red hair. And Esau eventually settled in the area of Mount Seir. Mount Seir is in today southern Jordan on the east side of uh, the Dead Sea, very uh, mountainous, very rocky, very deserty in Mount Seir. And they would absorb a people known as the Horites. We know that from Genesis chapter 36, and which refers to Edomite rulers as dukes in the King James Version, Deuteronomy chapter 2. But when Israel came out of Egypt, you know, in the 40 years of wandering, they wanted to pass as they're coming to the promised land. They wanted to pass uh, through the land of the Edomites to enter into the promised land. And the Edomites would not let them pass, Numbers chapter 20. And then the Edomites, as we look at them, mentioned a lot of times historically in the scriptures. So we also see them, that they're mentioned as opposing Saul, who conquered um, under David and, and Solomon. The Edomites uh, were conquered by David, by Solomon, uh, came against Saul. You read about that in 1 Samuel 14, 2 Samuel chapter 8, and 1 Kings chapter 9. In the days of King Jehoshaphat of Judah, Edom joined in with Moab and Ammon. All three of them, uh, those people on the east side of Jordan River, there uh, was the, the Ammonites, there was the Moabites, uh, and then there was the Edomites to the south. And they joined together to fight against Judah and defend, uh, and um, the Lord fought on behalf of Judah. Uh, as it's an interesting chapter, Second Chronicles chapter 20, because it's known as the, uh, that famous battle that was led by praise. Uh, Jehoshaphat, again a godly king, as they're facing this overwhelming army coming against them, what they did is not send the soldiers out front um, and, and, and those with the shield out front. Uh, what he did is he led the worshipers out front. And it's such an important chapter for us because when we find ourselves in a battle, and I think that perhaps some of you tonight that are listening, that the battle is raging all around you. And and it is a battlefield out there. Uh, As Christians today, the battle is getting harder. It's getting more difficult. It's getting more intense. But the key for you and for me is to keep praising God. That's that's a wonderful weapon against uh, the battles that we end up facing, the enemy that comes against us, is to praise him. And we see that in the Psalms, don't we? When David, when he speaks about the trials and difficulties that he's going through, that he ends up praising the Lord. So send praise before you in these battles. And that's what Jehoshaphat did. And it's just an incredible lesson for us. We also know historically the Edomites successfully rebelled against King Jeroam of Judah and that's in Second Kings chapter 8. And then King Amaziah of Judah brought them back uh, under uh, submission. And then the Edomites also again attacked in Judah in the days of King Ahaz. Second Chronicles chapter 28. Ahaz ruled for uh, many years and he was a terrible king. Uh, he was an idol worshiper, plunged Judah deep into idol worship. He's ruling during the days of Isaiah. Isaiah came to him and said that, you know, you need to seek the Lord. Uh, believe the word of the Lord or you will not be established. 
we know that uh, Ahaz would not do that. Century later, King Herod the Great, of course, during the time of the birth of Jesus, we are told in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, that he was an Edomite. And they later on, uh, after the death and resurrection uh, of Jesus, the Edomites would fight side by side with the Jews in the, in the rebellion against Rome. And that took place from 66 to 70 AD that led to the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, the Edomites were destroyed during that time and never to be heard of as a people again. So the predictions of what we read here, Obadiah, in verse 10, and particularly verse 18, are proven to be true. Now, because this book says that, um, and focuses on Edom, and also mentions Jerusalem, uh, as we put the pieces of the puzzle together, we can gather kind of a date for Obadiah's ministry. The only time frame and uh, points that we have in the book are uh, the attack against Jerusalem, uh, we're going to read in verses 10 through 14 here of the book. The fact of this passage also seems to indicate that Edom was not under Judah's rule at the time. So as we begin to, to put all of that together in the historical references in the scripture of the Edomites, Second Chronicles chapter 21 describes an attack against Jerusalem during the reign of Jehoram, and that's about eight. 48 B.C. Uh, by the Philistine, Philistines and the Arabians. Second Kings chapter 24 and 25 describe the attack of the Babylonians against Jerusalem, and we know that happened in 586 B.C. So probably most scholars, uh, they say the better choice is the earlier attack because Obadiah doesn't seem to indicate that Jerusalem was totally destroyed. We'll see that as we continue uh, looking at those verses, as I said, verses 10 through 14. And it was Jerusalem, of course, leveled in Solomon's temple in the Babylonian attack of 586 B.C. So just to give you a little bit of historical backgrounds, um, if it is the, the earlier date, it's one of the oldest prophets or uh, the earliest of the prophets, I should say, that was on the scene after Solomon in about 850 B.C., and it makes him a contemporary of the prophet Elijah, who was up north, and it makes him one of the earliest prophets, probably before Joel and even Amos, that also were on the scene at, at a little bit a later date after Obadiah. So kind of putting those things together, uh, Obadiah uh, may be the same man mentioned in Second Chronicles chapter 17, verse 7. So you might want to look at that. And that's probably the Obadiah that we're going to be reading about. But let's look at his prophecies after I've given you this, this uh, historical background concerning the Edomites and who Obadiah is. The vision of Obadiah says, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord, verse 1 tells us, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. So Obadiah receives a news bulletin, if you would, from the Lord, that, that God is bringing um, this um, nation, uh, and um, they will be small, uh, the judgment against them, they'll be despised. As we go into verse 2, that again, he is... Uh, given this uh, 
prophecy concerning judgment against Edom. Uh, Let us rise up against her for battle. Verse 2, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You will dwell in the cliffs of the rock whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. So they were full of pride. Pride was uh, something that uh, was marked the characteristics of the Edomites. Matter of fact, when you go through those proclamations in Jeremiah against those nations, Ammon and Moab and the Edomites and some of the others, Tyre and Sidon, one of the characteristics that we see is pride was very much a part of uh, their sin. Uh, they were very prideful. They were confident in their success, in their security. And also we have seen that even as we've gone through Amos, we've gone through uh, the books of the prophets, that when uh, Amos, for example, was writing that the house of Israel, the house of Judah, they were doing well, they were very prideful and it led to sin. It led to all kinds of, of carnality and, and uh, just being self-reliant and self-sufficient. And the thing that we need to remember as here is, again, the Edomites, that this is a proclamation against them. They were full of pride. And, and pride will deceive us. The scripture is very, very clear about that. It's such a terrible sin. And it deceives us. It makes us think more highly of ourselves and then looking down upon others. It's something that all of us have to really guard against because pride is very destructive to us and it affects others as well. And of course, pride, you've heard me say this, that the middle word of uh, letter of pride is the, is the letter I. I'm self-sufficient, self-sustaining, self-focused, self-centered. It's all about self. It's all about me. Look at me. And God says, here to the Edomites I will bring you down. And of course, in the book of Proverbs, a verse that is for all of us, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And as we read these verses, verses 2 through 4, we kind of get a sense of the source of pride. Verse 3, you will dwell in the cliffs of the rock. That is, you see yourself as being secure, up there so high. And pride, what it does is we begin to, in our self-reliance and self-focus and sufficiency, we think, you know, I'm sitting high, I'm doing well, I don't need anybody, look what I have done, look at in the things that has caused me to be successful. Kind of like, remember, in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, before he went insane, that it was Nebuchadnezzar that looked out upon Babylon and he said, look at this great city I have built and this mighty kingdom that I have established. And of course, in chapter 3 of Daniel, when he made that image all of gold, it was all based on pride. Uh, it, I am going to have you bow down and worship this image because my kingdom is going to last forever. And the Lord had to humble Nebuchadnezzar for him to realize that your kingdom is going to go down. Daniel had told him in chapter 2, you're going to be replaced by the Medo-Persian Empire. And here is Nebuchadnezzar making this image all of gold uh, to defy what was given to him in that prophecy of Daniel chapter 2. That, you know, the image was made of gold and silver and, and the different kingdoms that would come on the scene. You're going to go down, Nebuchadnezzar. And he was humble for seven years, as we read in the book of, of, uh, of Daniel. But 
here they, they thought, you know, we're so high, we're secure, we don't need anybody. But even though they are a relatively poor nation, a small nation, they boasted in the area in which they live with natural fortifications that um, could easily be defended. And, and that's the thing about pride. Even when we don't have much to be prideful about, we will find something to exalt ourselves. We don't have to be rich. We don't have to be powerful. We don't have to be great to be full of pride. And so here they are in that area, Mount Seir, that's very rocky, very mountainous, got cliffs in that area. Petra um, is where it is. And the Edomites also boasted, second of all, uh, in their wisdom. The men of Edom in the city of Teman were known for their wisdom. We read about that in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 30. Uh, it talks about the great wisdom of the men of the east, that is Edom. Also, Jeremiah chapter 49, I want to encourage you to read those verses in uh, chapter 49, verses 7, I believe, through verse 22, the proclamation uh, against Edom and the wise men of Edom is mentioned, Teman is mentioned there, the source uh, of pride uh, because of that. And the Lord says you're going to be judged uh, in the proclamation against them. But then a third source of pride is boasting in their alliances. And God says, I'm going to bring you down. And as we continue reading in verse 5, if thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you would be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they have not left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. All the men of your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. As we read this here, we know the judgment is concerning Edom will be far worse than what happens when a robber comes and steals. A thief will take what he can or when he's had enough. And, and Edom's going to be stripped bare, as verse 6 tells us. But I do want to say this, as it speaks of a robber, that we have an enemy, that is Satan, who loves to steal. He loves to destroy. And he's going to try to steal the things of God away from you. That is, he's going to steal, he's going to rob you of a godly life and deceiving you into coming against you. That's one of his tactics. He's a murderer. He's a thief, Jesus said. And he will try to deceive you in a way where he's going to try to rip you off. And the world and Satan is a ripoff. So don't let them be, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, is what, what, what Paul would write to us. And we don't want to let him just rob us. We have the Lord, we have truth, we have the riches of Christ that are ours, and that we can guard it as we continue to stay in truth, to walk with the Lord, uh, to please the Lord with our lives. It doesn't mean that he isn't going to come against us, because he will. And the spiritual battle is there, but we put on the whole armor of God, and we're to stay close to the Lord, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the, the enemy is a ripoff. He'll try to rob you of your joy, of your peace, uh, of truth, uh, being established in truth, all those things, because that's the tactic of the enemy. But we continue in verse 8. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, 
even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau. Then your mighty men, O Teman, mentioned there, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. And as I read this, verse 9 particularly, the mighty man, O Teman, shall be dismayed. Uh, those wise men of Teman. And, and there are those who, who boast in their wisdom, the wisdom of man. Uh, we know more. We know better. There is no God. Y you know, don't listen to as uh, they pull people away, those uh, perhaps that are teachers or philosophers or influence in our culture, that they seem so smart, and they will even boast in their wisdom, but it's man's wisdom, and it is foolishness. There is a difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And the day will come where God's wisdom and God's truth is going to prevail. And they're going to be dismayed. So make sure that, that for you and for me that we are ones that we are taking heed to God's wisdom and God's truth because man's wisdom is going to come to nothing eventually. And we know that as we read this, this, this verse nine, the first nine verses here of the book, very similar to what I said to you in Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 7 through 22. So some believe that perhaps have thought that Jeremiah... He had heard of Obabiah's prophecy uh, that was before him and was familiar with his prophecies. In verse 10, For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever in the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces. When foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them." So we see that the violence against Jacob or the children of Israel, uh, Esau, the brother of Jacob, uh, miss, you know, treating, um, coming against God's people. You know, it really is bad to treat another badly. Uh, as Christians, uh, to treat others badly and, and to treat a brother and sister in the Lord in a bad way. And I kind of touched on this on Sunday, but I think with the stress of the pandemic and all the destructions and all the things that are going on around us with the pandemic, politically, culturally, that, that we can lose perspective. And so Christians, we are to treat others in love and in respect and in humility. We are to minister to others, serving others, giving the truth in love. Uh, being full of truth and grace. We don't want to mistreat others. And it really grieves my heart when I hear somebody uh, that says that, you know, this Christian mistreated me. And, and I'm talking about uh, even that you go to a restaurant. How do you treat the waiter, the waitress? How do you treat those that are at the grocery store? How do you treat uh, others? You know, we are to, to show respect and be patient and and be loving, kind, and, and gentle, and compassionate. Those are the marks of a Christian, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think it's something that, that all of us really need to take to the Lord. That we don't want to mistreat others. We don't want to just be harsh on others and coming down and thinking we're better than others. But we are to keep um, you know, a, a proper perspective of how we treat others uh, in the Lord that's pleasing to the Lord. We read in verse 11, For the day that you stood on the other side, and the day that strangers carried captives his forces, 
when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, there's where Jerusalem is mentioned, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother, in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah, in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Verse 14, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remain in the day of distress. So here Edom had boasted in and rejoicing and seeing Judah and Jerusalem being taken captive in the plundering uh, of Judah and Jerusalem. They rejoiced to see what Babylon did in destroying Jerusalem. God said, you should not have entered in the gate of my people. When some of the people tried to escape, they were handed over by the Edomites. And the Lord says, I'm going to deal with you because of that. But as we make application today, we never want to rejoice in someone else's calamity or distress. We don't want to join in in making things worse, especially our brother or sister. I've seen that happen, the way that some Christians or even Christian leaders have been treated so badly when they fall into sin. And I understand that it's upsetting, but we're to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, not in a spirit of meanness, lest we also be tempted. And we are not to add to their misery. And, you know, we can, the way that we can treat others, uh, the words that we speak on social media um, and all of this, we need to be careful of those things. And here the Lord is saying, you rejoice in somebody else's calamity and distress and, and my people, and, and that is not good. And it's not pleasing to the Lord. And we never want to be a part of that. We, want to, we should grieve when we see others that are not doing well, they're being held captive, that their lives are being destroyed, we should be grieving over that, not adding to the calamity and rejoicing over it. And they deserve it, and you know, that's what they get. And God just judge them all in all of this. No. We've seen the hearts of the prophets going through the books of the prophet. I, Isaiah, when he's given words of judgment, he was grieving. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, Hosea, uh, his heart was broken. He was feeling what was going on with the heart of God as, as judgment was being pronounced on the house of Israel. And we should, even as we see things that are happening, yes, they can upset us. And yes, we, we get angry at those things. But we should never rejoice in what is coming down the pipe. And that is that God's going to bring judgment on a Christ-rejected world to bring the culmination of things to establish his kingdom. We shouldn't say, I can't wait till you blast them or that you blast that person. But we should have a heart that is grieving over those who are lost or over a brother and sister that is not doing well in things of the Lord or experiencing the consequences and repercussions of sin. We should have sorrow. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And we are to, to be ones that, you know, the heart of God is broken over the state of people's lives and, and Christians that are not doing well in the Lord. So verse 15, for the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. So we see that term, the day of the Lord here, 
may refer to any time God judges by entering into world affairs, but many interpreters believe that Edom illustrates God's judgment that would come to all nations who rebel in uh, arrogance against God. And so the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. And we've been talking a lot about that term, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord um, is that period of time that begins in the tribulation period, seven years, and then the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then it is followed by blessings. Uh, it is followed by uh, the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. That's all the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord, the tribulation period, when God brings judgment to the nations to bring them under his rule. And we're going to actually be reading about that when I return from Peru and we finish the Olivet Discourse. And we're going to be looking at that section where Jesus talks about the judgment of the nations. And, and that will take place again at the end of the tribulation period. So as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall be uh, upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. So the Lord is going to come. He's going to judge the nations. There is going to be judgment coming upon a Christ-rejected world in the day of the Lord. And in verse 17, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. So it's interesting. You've seen a pattern, haven't you, that the Lord, when he speaks about judgment in, in the house of Israel and house of Judah, but he didn't leave them without any hope. And here he's speaking to the Edomites and the nations that are going to be judged, but he doesn't leave us without any hope. And he talks once again that there's going to be triumph, uh, Zion, Jerusalem, uh, Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance, there shall be holiness, the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Once again, we see one of these verses where it talks about the restoration of Israel. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble, and they shall kindle them and devour them. And no survivor shall remain in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So God will preserve his people Israel in the day of restoration that will come, and our enemies will be defeated. And with Edom, the Edomites, again, were destroyed uh, when the Romans came in in 66 A.D. and uh, began to crush the, the rebellion that was there. And they were never heard of again. You won't meet an Edomite. And Israel defeated, but brought back into the land, and they will inhabit uh, the land, and they will inhabit the possession that is given to them. In verse 19, as we read, the south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Philistine. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. And Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captives of the hosts of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites. As far as Zarephath, the captives of Jerusalem who are in Shepardad, shall possess the cities of the south. Then Savior shall come to Mount Zion and the, judge the mountains of Esau, and, and the kingdoms uh, shall be the Lord's. And so in the end, the kingdom will be the Lord, and he will rule, and he will deliver his people, and he will judge the nation. So, Father, we thank you for this short book and for the time that we had to look at these verses. And I pray that the lessons that are here are, are very, very important for us. They're reminders that, first of all, we don't want to be prideful, 
We don't want to be self-reliant and self-sufficient and so self-focused. Um, and pride can creep into our lives very, very easily. And so we want to be like David has said, Lord, search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. And to guard against the pride <clears throat> because it will bring us down. And it will cause the enemy to come in and to steal and to rob. And Lord, we don't want to rely on our own wisdom or man's wisdom. We want to rely on your wisdom. And they boasted in their wisdom and they lived by their wisdom. Lord, you've given us the right way, the good way, the true way to live for you. And so may we be established in your truth and walk in your ways, which are good. And Lord, also that we would know that you have delivered us. You sent a deliverer, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and rose again. And now we have victory. We have forgiveness of sin. So I pray that we would deliver that message to others, that we would tell them that Jesus Christ came to die for them <clears throat> and loves them and wants to save them, that we would be ones that we would not mistreat others but have a heart for people, that we would have a heart for the lost, that we would grieve when we see a brother or sister that falls into sin and trespass or the consequences they're experiencing. But Lord, that we would show compassion. We would give truth, but we would have grace and there'd be gentleness. And Lord, your spirit that uh, just guides us in ministering to others. But we would not rejoice in others' calamities or repercussions and consequences that they're going through because uh, of the world or because of their own sin, but Lord, that we would be helpers of joy. I thank you. I pray that you would just um, be with everyone while I'm away. I pray for a blessed trip to Peru as Barbara and I go to minister and to come back with a good report. And I just pray that, Lord, you keep everybody here safe and healthy and continuing in the things of the Lord. We thank you for Calvary Chapel. Uh, I thank you for the work that you're doing here. And Lord, that as we continue in the scriptures, as we're instructed to do in the days in which we're in, in all days, that Lord, that we would be established in you and your promises and in your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Looking forward to when I come back to see you once again.